Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The Peter Schiff Show. I'd like to thank a brand new sponsor for supporting the Peter Schiff Show podcast. Outer makes beautiful, comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture, all from sustainable materials, and it's the only outdoor furniture made with a patented built-in cover to make protecting it effortless. For a limited time, get $300 off and free shipping at liveouter.com slash gold. On Saturday's podcast, I spoke about the way the Bank of Japan lied about inflation being too low in Japan to justify its reckless monetary policy so that it can keep interest rates artificially low to enable the government of Japan to be able to afford to service its exploding national debt. Well, on this podcast, I want to talk about similar lies told by the ECB because I was looking at the inflation data that came out today from Germany. Today we got the CPI numbers for March for Germany and the month over month increase was 2.5%. That is an enormous jump in one month. Obviously we expected a big number because March we had an explosion in energy prices and so that was reflected in the total number for March. But look at the year over year increase in consumer prices 7.3. That is the highest rate of inflation in Germany in about 30 years. We also got some inflation data out of Italy. This was February data so it's a month behind and it's producer prices. They only moved up by 0.2% on the month but remember March is going to be the big jump and I'm sure we're going to see that next month when Italy releases the March data but we had a big number in January. Prices were up 12.4% in January but year over year February producer prices in Italy up a whopping 41.4%. That is an incredible increase in producer prices. So we have a serious inflation problem in the Eurozone right now, and it's going to get a lot worse. Except for years and years, 
I was listening to Mario Draghi give press conferences following their announcement that they would continue to keep rates at zero and they would continue their program of quantitative easing. And the justification for this reckless policy was always that there wasn't enough inflation in the eurozone, that inflation was too low and therefore this policy was needed to solve this non-existent problem. And pretty much everybody accepted on face value this problem. Draghi would say inflation is too low, we need more inflation, and we're going to pursue this policy. And everybody was like, okay, yeah, I guess Europe needs more inflation. Nobody really but me was out there questioning the absurdity of the very concept that low inflation is a problem that the central banks need to solve by making it higher. Because low inflation is not a problem. In fact, lower inflation is better than higher inflation. The lower, the better. And in fact, if prices fall, that's actually better than prices rising by a little bit. It's better if things get cheaper than more expensive. But nobody questioned the absurdity of this concept. This is a concept created by government, by central bankers and politicians to try to justify their reckless policy. Now, often they like to talk about the Great Depression and, oh, prices fell during the Great Depression. Therefore, we can't let prices fall again because it might bring on another Great Depression. So we're going to make sure we don't have another depression. And so we're going to make sure that prices don't fall. First of all, that is faulty logic. You can't blame the depression on falling prices. You can't say prices were lower during the Great Depression. Therefore, those lower prices caused the Great Depression. That's absurd. That's like blaming the rain on wet sidewalks, right? You look at the sidewalks and they're wet and you say, oh my God, these wet sidewalks must have caused it to rain because it rained and the sidewalks are wet. You've got it in reverse. It's the rain that caused the sidewalks to be wet, not the other way around. The reason we had a big drop in prices during the Great Depression was because we had a Great Depression. The drop in prices didn't cause the depression. The depression caused the drop in prices. Now, that doesn't mean falling prices are bad. In fact, they actually were a good thing even during the depression because they eased the suffering of the depression. Imagine how much worse it would have been if instead of prices going down during the depression, they went up. I mean, we're about to find that out because we're going into a depression where prices are going to be going up. And believe me, it's much better when prices are going down. But prices can go down even when you're not in a depression. The whole idea that the way you prevent depression is to prevent prices from falling, it's the same thing as saying, I'm going to stop the rain by making sure the sidewalks stay dry. It is not going to work. But also the idea that inflation is needed for economic activity, that somehow consumers won't buy anything if they don't expect prices to go up, that they'll hold off indefinitely and sit on their cash and they won't buy anything because they're waiting for lower prices. And so the whole economy would collapse if consumers didn't know that prices were going to go up. I always pointed out the absurdity of that. And the whole argument was disproved just by looking at consumer electronics 
We all know that if we buy a laptop computer today or a cell phone or a flat screen TV, if we wait a year or two, we'll be able to get a better TV for less money. Well, then why do we keep buying TVs? Why do we keep buying cell phones and computers? Because we want them now. We don't want to wait for a better one in a year. We want whatever's available right now because there is a value to having something sooner rather than having it later. The only reason that people don't buy something right now is if they can't afford it. And so they wait for the price to go down. And then when the price does go down, then they buy it. If you can't afford something now and the price just goes up, well, you may never be able to afford it. So it's falling prices that create demand, not rising prices. If you have a store and you want to sell more stuff, you have a sale. What's a sale? That's when you lower prices. You lower prices, people want to buy. Nobody has a sale where they say, hey, for today only, 10% extra. And then people don't come rushing in to pay more. In fact, they have a store, right? It's called Pay Less. Why did they name it Pay Less and not Pay More? Because people like to pay less, not pay more. But apparently, uh, Mario Draghi or other central bankers don't understand this basic concept. Although I know they understand it, they were just lying about it. It's just that the public and even other economists or market strategists don't understand enough about economics to realize when a central banker is lying. But of course, I know when they're lying and I point it out all the time. But not only was it absurd for the ECB to claim that the problem in Europe was not enough inflation. And again, whenever they say the problem is not enough inflation, what they're really saying is the problem is the cost of living is rising too slowly. We need the cost of living to rise faster. Because if they said it that way, it would illustrate the absurdity. Why does anybody want the cost of living to go up? Doesn't everybody want their cost of living to go down? Of course they do. People don't want higher gas prices. They want lower gas prices. People don't want to pay more for health insurance. They want to pay less. They want to pay less for everything. And so if Mario Draghi would have put it in those terms, it would have been more obvious how ridiculous the assertion was. But Apart from just the idea that we need inflation, was Mario Draghi trying to reinvent the ECB's mandate on inflation? Because the ECB is supposed to keep inflation below 2%. 2% is the ceiling. That's all it is. The mandate is keep inflation below 2%. Mario Draghi reinvented the mandate to have inflation close to, but below 2%. So in other words, it's a ceiling but we want to get as close as possible to that ceiling without actually touching it. That supposedly was their mandate. Well, that's an asinine mandate. There's no way there's going to be a mandate like that. The original mandate to keep inflation below 2% makes sense because it means, hey, keep inflation below 2%. If it gets near 2%, you better do something because we don't want it to touch 2%. So in other words, if inflation is 1%, Okay, so far so good. It's 1%. You don't have to be concerned because 1% is far away from 2%. If inflation creeps up to one and a half, maybe it's like, okay, we better be a little vigilant here. We better watch it because we're getting closer to 2% and we don't want it to hit 2%. 
On the other hand, if inflation pulls back to a half a percent, well, that's good news. Well, now we're even further away from that ceiling, which means we're less likely to hit it. So all good, right? That's the actual mandate. But the way Mario Draghi repackaged it and presented it to the public was we need to be below but close to 2%. In other words, 1.5% is no good. Yes, it's below 2%, but it's not close enough. Basically, what Draghi was saying is that we want inflation to be one99 9.999%. We don't want to touch 2% because that's too high, but 1.999, well, that's perfect. And I always said that is complete asinine. Even if you say, okay, 1.9 is perfect, right? That's close, but it's not 2%. So if inflation is 1.8, according to that logic, they have to keep interest rates at zero. They have to keep doing QE to bring the rate from 1.8 to 1.9. Well, what happens if you're trying to get to 1.9 and you overshoot and you hit 2%. Now you got to slam on the brakes. It makes no sense to try to raise an inflation rate of 1.8 to 1.9 when you're trying to stay below 2%. In fact, it doesn't make any sense to try to raise an inflation rate of 1.5 to 1.9 and risk overshooting. The whole idea of the mandate being close to but below 2% was complete nonsense. And nobody said anything about it, except for me. I talked about it on a podcast all the time, how absurd it was to even believe that a central bank can micromanage the inflation rate to such a degree that it can target 1.9% and hit it and not go over, not go under. And what I was saying back then was what's going to happen when we blow past 2%? How is the ECB gonna handle a big overshoot? Well, now we know because it's ignoring the overshoot. It is doing nothing because you have a 30-year high in German inflation. You have an inflation problem all over the world. Yet here you have the ECB continuing to hold rates at zero and continuing to do quantitative easing. Why? If the real goal of the ECB was to create higher inflation because they wanted to get close to 2%, but not touch 2%, and now they're triple 2%, why are they pursuing the same policy? They're pursuing the same monetary policy today when they have too much inflation as they were using in the past when they claimed they had too little inflation. And again, just like with the Bank of Japan, this highlights the big lie that Draghi and now Lagarde have been telling, and that was that the low interest rates and the QE were motivated by a desire to solve the problem of too low inflation. Too low inflation was never a problem. It was a manufactured problem to cover up the real problem. And now they have another real problem of too high inflation that they can't solve. But the problem that they were trying to cover up was another insolvency issue. Why was the ECB continuing to print euros to buy government bonds, in particular, Greek government bonds, Italian government bonds, Spanish government bonds. And the answer is because those governments were profligate. They're running big deficits. They are not complying with the original premise of the European Union. They are not holding their deficits down in relation to their GDP. And so the reason that the ECB is interfering in those bond markets is to keep interest rates in a lot of these Southern European pig countries, artificially low. And so in order to justify intervening in the bond markets to spare Italian or Spanish politicians 
from the hard choices of cutting government spending or raising taxes, the ECB monetized that debt, but they couldn't say the reason we're printing all this money is so we can bail out the Italians or bail out the Spanish. So they had to come up with another excuse and their lame excuse was that inflation was too low. Now I knew it was an excuse because I knew that there is no such thing as too low inflation, the lower the better. So I knew there had to be another explanation for this reckless policy. And of course that's it. And in fact, it was even more important to the ECB because the problem in the Eurozone was if the ECB did the right thing and refused to monetize Italian government debt or Spanish government debt, then Italy might've decided to leave the European Union because they would have vilified the ECB. Politicians in Italy would have campaigned against the ECB, against the Eurozone for forcing austerity on Italian voters. And so one of the things they might have done is voted to leave the Eurozone so that the Italian government can now print lira again. And if the Italian government could print lira, well, then they wouldn't have to worry about cutting government spending or raising taxes. They'd have something else to worry about, and that would be massive inflation because they would be stuck with the lira again. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. So they would have had to make a choice. Do they want low inflation and small government and stay in the Eurozone and live within their means and be fiscally responsible? Or do they want to leave the Eurozone and suffer massive inflation? Maybe they would have made the right decision. I have no idea. But instead, the ECB made the wrong decision. And now everybody is going to suffer high inflation, including the Germans. The Germans, who have always been fiscally responsible, who were very concerned about inflation, you know, having experienced hyperinflation in the Weimar Republic, they were always the most conservative central bankers when it comes to being hawkish on inflation. But now even the Germans are going to have to experience high inflation because they allowed this to happen. They allowed the ECB to get away with this under the pretense of there not being enough inflation. Well, now when you talk about Having too much of a good thing, that's exactly what they have, except it's not a good thing, it's a bad thing, and now they've got it in spades. Better than 90% of your life is likely spent indoors, but most of your favorite moments probably happen outdoors, where the air is fresh and you feel at peace, and since that warmer weather is almost here, try to make the most of it with outer. 
the new outdoor furniture company with purposely designed furniture to get you outdoors more often. Outer makes beautiful, comfortable, innovative, and high-quality outdoor furniture, and it's all made from sustainable materials, and it's the only outdoor furniture with a patented built-in cover to make protecting it effortless. From teak chairs to fire pit tables, everything Outer makes has the look and feel of what you'd expect from a five-star resort, only for less than what you'd pay at a big box store for something that won't last long. Outer furniture is better in every way because they've spent years perfecting outdoor products with stunning modular designs to customize your space. Life-proof material with a nano coating that's water, mold, bleach, and stain resistant. There are over 1,000 neighborhood showrooms across the country to see the outer difference in person. And triple memory foam cushions that are even more comfortable than most indoor sofas. Outer's patented built-in outer shell cover protects your furniture from rain and dew. It's the why-didn't-anyone-think-of-this-before invention that made Shark Tank's Lori Greer and Mr. Wonderful fight to invest. Outer furniture comes with best-in-class warranties, like 10 years for their chic aluminum line, and they offer a two-week trial with free returns. And I really enjoy checking out their virtual showrooms, where you can actually see the beautiful furniture on display in the homes of the satisfied customers who have already bought it. I know from experience, living out here in Puerto Rico, I spend a lot of time outside, and therefore I probably spend more time on my outdoor furniture than I do and my indoor furniture. So see the difference for yourself at liveouter.com slash gold. Plus for a limited time, you can get $300 off and free shipping. This is Outer's best offer anywhere and it's only available to podcast listeners and only for a limited time. You can get $300 off plus free shipping at liveouter.com slash gold. That's liveouter.com slash gold. Terms and conditions apply. But I want to switch gears and bring the inflation discussion back to our side of the pond. The stakes have really been upped in the inflation blame game. Everybody is trying to figure out another scapegoat for inflation. What are we going to blame it on? And I hear all sorts of nonsense to try to rationalize or justify why we're having inflation. I mean, everybody comes up with every excuse under the sun except the truth. There are a lot of people, they want to talk about, well, you know, there's two kinds of inflation. You got cost push inflation. You got demand pull. That's a bunch of nonsense. Anyone who talks about cost push or demand pull doesn't understand inflation. These are Keynesian terms that were always nonsense. They were invented to rationalize inflation, not explain it. Prices don't go up because costs go up. Costs are prices. One person's price is another person's costs. Saying prices go up because costs go up is like saying prices go up because prices go up. Why do costs go up? There's no explanation there. You just can't say prices go up because costs go up. Same thing for demand pull. It's not demand that causes all prices to go up. Demand can cause some prices to go up, but then it also causes other prices to go down. For example, look at what's happening today with energy and with food. You have shortages there. And by the way, a lot of the politicians and the economists are blaming the inflation on shortages, but shortages don't cause inflation. Shortages can cause prices to go up for the items that are in short supply, but just for those items. Those shortages don't cause prices to go up throughout the economy. The general level of prices does not go up 
just because certain prices go up because of shortages of supply. Because to the extent that consumers are going to have to pay higher prices for food or higher prices for energy, that means they're going to have less money to buy other things. And that means demand for those other things is going to fall. And as demand falls, well, so does price. So if there's a shortage in certain goods or services and those prices go up, there will be a offsetting reduction in the price of other goods and services due to a reduction in demand. And so overall, the price level won't go up. Now, consumers are not going to be happy about having to spend more of their budget on food and energy and have less left over for other things. But spending more on food and energy doesn't create inflation. Where the inflation comes from is government. The only way that you get an increase in the general level of prices where everything goes up is if the money supply goes up. And it's that increase in the money supply that is fueling demand, phony demand that is pushing up prices. Now, of course, whenever you have excess demand created by money printing, you can always blame the resulting price increases on a supply shortage. Because of course, there's not enough stuff for people to buy. If you just give people money and now they want to buy stuff, well, there's going to be a shortage of stuff. Because in a real economy, without the government creating inflation, demand comes from supply. It is supply that creates demand. If a printing press creates demand instead, well, then prices go up. You see, when people are out there working and they earn money, what they earn is a function of what they add to the supply of goods and services. Everybody has a job doing something, and what you're doing is either leading to the production of a good or the provision of a service. You either work in the goods sector, the service sector, but whatever you're doing, you're producing something, whether it's a good or a service. If you work for a manufacturing company, if you're on a production line helping to build something, you're producing a good. Even if you're not on the factory floor, even if you have a white collar job, maybe you're in engineering or design or marketing, whatever you're doing is helping to bring about the production of that good. Or maybe you're an accountant or you're a lawyer and what you're doing is supplying legal services or supplying accounting services that other people buy. And the more money you earn, well, it's all a function of the contribution that you make to putting goods and services into the economy. So you put goods and services into the economy, and now you have money that you can use to take goods and services back out of the economy. Not necessarily the same goods and services you put in, but you help put services and goods into that big pot. And now you get money, which entitles you to withdraw some of the goods and services that you help put into the pot. You're entitled to your share when it comes to drawing out of the pot. But if the government comes in and just starts handing out money that it printed and gives it to people and they didn't put anything into that pot, they didn't help produce any goods, they didn't provide any services, they just have a bunch of cash Well, now you have more money, but you don't have more stuff. And so now the price of whatever's in that pot has to go up because the government isn't putting anything in the pot. It's just giving people more money to take stuff out. Well, there's no more stuff in there to take out. So all that can happen is that the prices go up. So we take the same amount of stuff out of that pot. It's just that everybody has to pay more for it. And that is the only way that you actually have inflation is when the government creates money.
And so all this talk about shortages leading to inflation, about Putin causing inflation, or even that COVID created inflation, none of this is true. All of the inflation, whether it's here in the United States, it's in the Eurozone, it's in Japan, the cause is all governments, or in particular, central banks. It's not a coincidence that central banks have been printing all this money, monetizing all this debt. We've had QE program after QE program, 0% interest rates, and now all of a sudden, prices are skyrocketing. Prices skyrocketing was inevitable. The only thing that wasn't is how long it's taken. There has been a big lag. I will acknowledge that. I had expected the consequences of all this inflation to show up sooner rather than later. So I guess I was wrong. It showed up later. But you had all these other politicians and central bankers that were far more wrong than I was because they expected it never to show up. And now that it's finally showing up, instead of accepting responsibility for having created it, they're looking for excuses. They're looking for scapegoats. They want to blame it on anything but themselves. But the crazy thing is you have all these economists, you have all these Wall Street strategists who are doing the same thing. They're looking for excuses. They're looking for someone else to blame. They don't want to acknowledge the real cause. Of course, if they acknowledged the real cause of the inflation, well, why weren't they saying something sooner? If you're going to accept the fact that inflation is being created by government and deficit spending and quantitative easing, then you have to accept the fact that it didn't just start. We didn't start quantitative easing after COVID. We restarted it. We had three rounds of quantitative easing before COVID. And so if the QE program after COVID was responsible for creating inflation, then so were the QE programs that preceded COVID. It's the same policy. The only difference was the size. QE4 was much bigger than QE1, 2, and 3. In fact, it was bigger than QE1, 2, and 3 combined, which is exactly what I forecast would happen for QE4 before they even launched it. Everybody was saying QE3 was the last one. I said, no, they're going to do it again, and the next one is going to be bigger than the first three combined. Well, when they do QE5, it's going to be bigger than QE1, 2, 3, and 4 combined. And of course, the inflationary consequences are going to be that much more dramatic. But the other problem with letting the government and the central banks off the hook for inflation and trying to shift the blame of inflation to the private sector, because whenever they're talking about shortages in supply chain and production, that's obviously blaming the private sector because the government isn't producing all these goods. It's the private sector that's doing that. And of course, they're also trying to blame capitalism and greedy capitalists who are price gouging their customers, right? The government wants the public to think that the free market, the private sector is creating the inflation so they can look to government to provide solutions. And you have a lot of these politicians now who are trying to come up with various government engineered solutions to deal with inflation, like giving out more money to people to pay higher prices, which of course is the ultimate in irony because that money is coming into existence through inflation. The government has to create inflation in order to solve inflation. So they make the problem they're trying to solve worse, which is exactly what government always does. But the other benefit that government derives from this is by convincing the public that the free market is bad, 
that capitalism is bad because capitalism results in inflation and government is good because government is what can solve the inflation problem, but government needs more power. In order to get rid of this inflation problem, well, we need to empower government to regulate more, to tax more, to subsidize more, because the only way the government can solve a problem is by getting bigger. But of course, the reality is big government is the problem. Big government creates the problems, and the bigger we make government, the bigger we make our problems. I mentioned on an earlier podcast, it should be so obvious right now that if one of the problems is that costs are too high, well, there's one way government can lower costs, and that's to repeal regulations, because the cost of complying with regulations in many cases is very high. And all of those costs have to be paid for by the consumer. They are built into the cost structure of every product. And what government could do is they could cut regulations. And you know what? If they cut regulations, not only do they make businesses more efficient where they can lower prices, but now they cut government spending. The deficits are smaller. Less money has to be printed because if they get rid of the regulations, well, they can get rid of the government bureaucrats that are in charge of administering and enforcing those regulations. So let's get rid of those workers, take them off the public payroll. And you know what? In case you haven't noticed, supposedly there's a labor shortage. Well, why don't we free up some labor? Why don't we get rid of some government workers save the taxpayers some money, and now free up those workers to fill some of these unfilled jobs. You want to know where a lot of workers are? They're working for government, doing nothing. Why don't we free them up so they can do something? All of those government workers can be employed productively if we move them off the public payrolls onto a private sector payroll. So you kill so many birds with a deregulation stone, yet nobody is talking about doing that because those are not the type of solutions that bureaucrats have in mind. They want more government. They want bigger government and they will never let any crisis go to waste. They will use every crisis as an excuse for more government, even when the government creates the crisis, which in this case they absolutely did because inflation is created by government. Now we also got some more economic data that came out today. One in particular was the ADP employment report And the big report is going to come out on Friday. We get the official March non-farm payroll report. So this was kind of like a heads up. And this report pretty much came in in line with expectations. They were looking for 438,000 new jobs in March. Instead, we got 455,000. So just slightly above the consensus. In fact, they revised up the prior month slightly from 475,000 to 486,000. So pretty much in line, we'll see what kind of number we get when we get the government number on Friday. But the more significant number that came out was the final revision for fourth quarter GDP. The last estimate was for a 7% rise in GDP for the quarter. And the consensus was that it would go up to 7.1. Instead, it went the other way. It went down to 6.9, which nobody expected. The range was from 7% to 7.2. So this was a much weaker number. But in particular, the personal consumption expenditure component was much weaker than expected. That was at 3.1% in the prior estimate. And in this final number, it went all the way down to 2.5%. That is a big drop. And probably the main reason that consumer spending is dropping 
is because prices are rising and therefore consumers can't buy as much stuff because they really don't have as much money left over after they finish paying for expensive food and expensive energy. So you are seeing a decline in overall consumer spending. I mean, not a decline, it's still going up, but it's just not going up as much as analysts had hoped for. And that probably does not bode well for Q1 GDP, which of course we don't have yet. We're not quite finished. We still have a few days left or a couple days of the first quarter. The Atlanta Fed is currently estimating 0.9 for GDP. Now I remember at one point they were at like 0.1 or 0.2. So they have increased their estimate for Q1 GDP, but it's still pretty close to zero. And it is still possible that we could end up being in a recession In fact, the main reason that we won't be in one is because the government underreports inflation. The deflator will end up understating the true magnitude of the inflation problem. Although the deflator that we got, I think was like 7.1, I forget exactly, but it was the highest deflator in a GDP since 1981. So it was still a big number, just probably not as big as it should be, because as I've stated many times on this podcast, The government consistently understates the inflation rate, which means it consistently overstates the GDP growth rate. And I'm sure the same thing is going to happen for Q1. You know, also, we got the mortgage applications for the week and refis collapsed by 15%. And that is a big drop week over week. And in fact, the prior week was a 14% drop. So those are back to back plunges in refi applications. And of course, this makes perfect sense because mortgage rates are skyrocketing. And so chances are there's not that many people who would benefit from a refi. Most homeowners already have a mortgage that is lower than the prevailing rate. And so there's no motivation to do the refi. Of course, when you can refinance and get a lower rate, there was a lot of incentive to do that. And you could also pull out some home equity and maybe reduce your prices. But people now are probably glad that they've locked in their low rate. They don't want to lose that rate. So they're not going to do a refinance. And so refis are drying up. Not only is that obviously bad for the banking industry that was making a bunch of money doing all these refis, but what about the economy? Because now you no longer have that extra adrenaline shot for the homeowner where they can refinance their mortgage and now have all this extra money because if you reduce your mortgage payment, well, now you free up money to buy other things. And so that helps drive consumer spending. But if consumers can no longer rely on that source of purchasing power, if they've done refinancing, right, they've had their last refi and now they can't fall back on that again when times are hard or they need more money, they can't refinance into a cheaper mortgage, that lifeline is gone, then this is going to weigh heavily on a GDP that is better than 70% consumer spending if they cannot sustain that spending with another mortgage refinance. Of course, in addition to reacting to economic data, the markets are constantly on high alert for any news related to the Russia-Ukraine situation. What's the status? Is there going to be a ceasefire? Are there peace talks? Are we closer to a resolution? And in fact, we had a lot of optimism on Tuesday. We got a big rally in the market, particularly late in the day, on all these talks of some type of quicker resolution to this conflict. Maybe Putin was somehow giving in on some demands or 
Maybe the Ukraine might have compromised somewhere. I'm not sure exactly what the markets were expecting, but there was some information out there that created this sense of optimism that maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel. And one of the things that happened, of course, immediately was the price of gold sold off about 20 bucks as soon as these rumors began circulating. A lot of traders just hit the price of gold. And why is that? Well, because a lot of people just assume that gold is going up because of the war in the Ukraine and anything that brings about an end to that war must be bad for gold. And so gold went down. In fact, it briefly traded below 1900. Now it didn't stay below 1900. It rebounded and it rose about another 15 bucks today. So we closed at about $1,933 an ounce. And I think anybody who is selling gold on rumors of peace has no idea why real buyers are in there accumulating gold because it never had anything to do with Russia invading the Ukraine. In fact, gold had been going up before Russia invaded Ukraine. And personally, I think had Russia never invaded the Ukraine, I think the price of gold would actually be higher than it is right now. I think the Ukrainian invasion actually ended up hurting gold because it helped the dollar. I think the U.S. dollar would certainly be a lot lower today had Russia not invaded the Ukraine. Now, in the long run, I think this invasion is bearish for the dollar in that it highlights a need to get rid of dollars if you're a foreign central bank and you don't want to be beholden to U.S. government-led sanctions, not because you think you're going to invade another country, but because you may do something that the U.S. government doesn't approve of and therefore they sanction you. So while this was a short-term boost for the dollar, I think it is a long-term problem for the dollar, as if the dollar needed another long-term problem. It already has a lot of them. But I think prior to this invasion, the dollar was falling, gold was rising because of inflation and because the Fed was finally getting ready to raise rates after talking about raising them for so long. And it was all the talk of raising rates that propped up the dollar and suppressed gold. And I thought it would have been a buy the rumor, sell the fact that by the time the Fed finally raised rates, like it was talking about doing for so long that the dollar would sell off and gold would rise as markets start to realize that the rate hikes were too little too late, that it didn't matter at this point what the Fed did, inflation was going to go out of control, and that when we got to the next recession and when the Fed started cutting rates again, we would still have an inflation problem. And I think a lot of this was sidetracked by Russia's invasion of the Ukraine. And so the idea that a resolution to this crisis is bearish for gold is wrong. Everything that's happening is bullish for gold because it's all bearish for the dollar and we're gonna have more inflation. It's inflation that is driving gold demand, not war. It's not a safe haven from war that investors want. It's a safe haven from inflation. It's a safe haven from central banks and fiat currencies. And those fears are gonna remain long after the Russia-Ukraine war comes to an end. And so anytime the traders get it wrong and they sell off gold based on those type of rumors, all they're doing is giving real investors an opportunity to buy more gold at a cheaper price. It wasn't just gold that reacted to peace talks. It was black gold. Oil prices briefly traded below $100 a barrel yesterday. They didn't close below $100 a barrel. They recovered. And in fact, they added another $3 or so today. We closed at about $107.50 a barrel for West Texas crude. The oil chart looks very, very strong. I think oil prices are going to continue to rise 
even if we have a resolution to the Russia-Ukraine situation. Remember, oil prices were already $90 a barrel before Russia invaded the Ukraine. We had a huge bull market in oil before any of this happened. And so to try to blame the extra 10 or $15 on Russia-Ukraine, yes, it is adding to the problem, but we probably would be at $100 a barrel by now anyway, given what was happening prior to the invasion. Yes, I do think on the margin, oil prices are going to be higher than they would have been absent the invasion, but they were going to go up anyway. And to try to claim that the only reason they're going up is because of Russia invading Ukraine is, again, the politicians looking to come up with more excuses for problems that they are creating. But of course, the price of oil going down created a buying opportunity for oil stocks. Just like gold going down created an opportunity in gold stocks, investors had another opportunity to pick up some oil stocks on a pullback because the market was acting as if the only reason oil prices are rising is because of this war. They're not. There are a lot of other reasons that oil prices are rising, and those reasons are going to persist long after the war ends. But of course, you know, a lot of investors aren't paying attention to gold stocks. They're not paying attention to oil stocks. They are being distracted by the sideshow in overpriced stocks, in meme stocks, in particular, AMC, GameStop, continuing to watch these stocks soar and then drop. You know, I was listening to this ridiculous discussion. I don't even know who the guest was. I was in my car and I was listening to it. But Joe Kernan on CNBC was talking to somebody about what's going on with meme stocks. And this guy was saying, oh, he thinks this is great because it's really exciting investors and it's getting them into the market. It's getting them interested in investing. It gets their blood flowing. It gets them enthusiastic and really interested in investing. And this is good because there's lots of volume in these stocks. Investors love to trade them. And because there's so much volume, they've got really tight spreads, maybe a penny between the bid and the ask. So it's really efficient and it's very liquid. And so he thinks it's great that investors are trading these stocks. And the whole thing is ridiculous because great for who? Now, he kind of let it out of the bag. He said, well, you know, it's great for business. It's great for the industry. Sure, the securities industry generates a lot of commissions when people are day trading constantly these stocks. And if it takes a meme stock to get gamblers into the casino, well, clearly it's good for the casinos. But is it good for the gambler? to ultimately lose all his money. Well, if you're getting free drinks and there's pretty girls and you're having a lot of fun and everybody's excited, well, maybe it's worth it. Maybe gambling is worth losing money because that's the cost of the entertainment. I could have spent my money going to the theater or I could have gone to a ball game or done any one of a number of things, but instead I blew it at a casino. Fine. But a lot of people who are going to the casino of Wall Street don't realize they're in a casino. They don't expect to lose money. Most people who go to a casino go there with the understanding that they are going to lose money. But people who are gambling on GameStop and AMC, they think they're going to make money. They think they're investing. And the fact that so many people have been conned or fooled into believing 
that gambling is investing, that is a big problem. I don't care that it's good for the brokerage industry because it gets customers through the door. Well, eventually those customers are gonna go broke. And how is that good for the long-term health of the investment industry when all the people that you need to invest, all your potential customers have gone broke because they weren't actually investing, they were gambling. And of course, a lot of these gamblers who think they are investors are gonna end up being plaintiffs because they're gonna end up suing a lot of these Wall Street firms to get their money back. Because after the bubble pops and after everybody loses money, there's gonna be a lot of finger pointing. Just like the politicians always wanna blame somebody else for the inflation they cause, a lot of people who lose money investing like to blame other people for their losses, particularly if they get a hold of a lawyer because the lawyers are experts at blaming other people for their clients' losses, especially if those other people are big brokerage firms with deep pockets. So if the guys in the brokerage industry think that all their clients gambling on meme stocks is great for business because it's generating a lot of income for the brokerage community now, well, let's see how much of that income they end up keeping when their bankrupt customers end up suing them. 